Most Christians, when they're asked the question, uh, is there a main purpose of the church? And when you, they're asked that question, they say things, well, yeah, it's evangelism, uh, I guess uh, people getting together, ministering to people, baptizing, uh, reaching out to the communities, you know, feed the poor, teaching our youth, fellowship, um, and sending people out in mission, mission fields and what have you. And all those things are, are good things that Christians today are responding to that question. And we should, as a church, be doing that and even more. But uh, if someone asked you, is there a main reason for church, what would you tell them? Just think about it. Just some random stranger, maybe a sibling, a, you know, your parents, or someone else at work, just ask, like, well, why do you go to church? Um, oh, no. That's what Christians do, I guess. You think it's a, a, an answer we should know? We should. Today, there is a lot of noise, a lot of confusion going on within the church. I have the blessed privilege to be in ministry now full-time over 32 years. I work with uh, many, many countries around the world. Uh, we have hundreds of pastors that we've trained and worked with in, in uh, teaching the things that we teach. And um, so it's not just an issue going on in the United States that this, uh, uh, I, I would say, the word ignorance of this main purpose, it is the same around the world. And God warned us prior to his return, this is what we would see. And uh, this morning, obviously, I believe the Lord wants to challenge all of us and wants to make sure when you leave here today, you know what that main purpose is. There'll be no confusion in your mind and in your heart why you are here. Because if you're confused over that, uh, it will affect your relationship with God and everything around you. And it does. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the church and the saints. The, the word peace here in the Greek is irene, which means a person will have harmony, security, safety, tranquil, Fear, fearless, content, and blessed. God says that when we are his kids and we're part of that body and he, he wants to remove all the confusion and noise so we're able to be having this, this, this harmony and security, this peace. But when we look at the church today as a whole, how many Christians are truly walking in this peace? Not many. I would say a large percent of the body of Christ have never really truly experienced any continuous peace that God says, I promise to give you. But it is because of the confusion that the enemy has done and the mediocrity that we've allowed to infect our churches in the United States. And, and you know, the United States has been such an influence to the world. They really have. And to go into India and Africa and Bangladesh and and, and Russia, and China, and all these wonderful countries I get to go to, to see how the infection of what we prioritize here, go and infect them, it makes you sick. Now, I'm not saying the church is all wrong. I'm not saying that. I mean, I'd be foolish. But I can say the, th the message I'm having today that God has given me is one of the main reasons why the church is in the mess that it's in. 
and not experiencing this peace that God says he will promise us. This morning in my devotion, Matthew eleven twenty eight, that wonderful verse 28 through 30, come unto me all you labor and heavy laden and I will give you this rest, this peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, that's a glorious problem. How many here could have uh, want to experience what this promise is in your personal life? God says it's a, it, it will happen when we understand what come unto me means. And, and so uh, uh, we know life is hard. It's difficult. Many of you didn't have, you had parents that had no clue what they were doing. Amen? Amen. No clue. Their marriage, the way they raised you, and then you, you know, have bosses and siblings and cancer and sickness. And I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that the sin of Adam and Eve has infected this place that can just become overwhelming. I've got two friends of mine younger than me that have cancer and they're they're going to die. I mean, that stinks. One of them I led to the Lord 20-some years ago. And it's just like, man, and I mean, he is just weighed down, but God is just helping him and giving him peace and strength and the peace for his wife and his kids and what's going on around him. He says it's undeniable. God is working. He goes, yeah, I hate this. and I know I'm going to die, and I'm going to lose all this, you know, uh, my grandkids, and, the, and this guy, this is, as a grandpa, I mean, he just poured into his grandkids fishing. He was a professional fisherman, even. And so, he, I mean, he's, he's still doing it, but of course, it's, it's gone down to a crawl because of what he's going through. I mean, life is tough, but God says, I promise his peace in the midst of the chaos here. But if we are ignorant of your main purpose and you haven't answered the call for the main, your main purpose for being here, guess what? This peace, this tranquility, this harmony, this security that God wants us to experience, we will not experience. And God has a plan and purpose in that. Let me ask another couple of questions. Is the word of God still complete, lacking nothing when it comes to how to give us instructions and how to live in this world? Is there anything lacking? God promises everything we need that pertains to our life, your life. He says, my word is complete. But we got to know what it is, right? Let me ask you one more question. Is the spirit of God weaker today than it was 4,000 years ago when he formed everything? And what holds us? Stars. I mean, just to, we're, we're spinning right this moment 1,035 miles an hour. How? I think we're moving at 68,000 miles a minute through orbit. How? And God says, that power that raised Jesus Christ from the death is at our disposal to do everything God has given us to do. Everything. Who didn't come to Christ ignorant and babies and selfish and carnal? 
Every single one of us came exactly. I don't care if you're a brain surgeon, a nuclear science, uh, you know, a gas station attendant, or whatever. It doesn't matter. We all came to Christ the same way, and he offers us the same promises. I love you. I called you unto myself. And I got a plan and purpose in your life. And I want you to know when you join a church, I want, to know, I want you to know your main purpose of why you're here, why I brought you to this family to be part of it. If you got a Bible, turn to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. We're going to look at those verses. And within these verses, God, Jesus himself, has revealed what the main purpose of the church is. These came out of Jesus' mouth himself. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, this word go, we often put the emphasis when you've heard this message or passage taught, is sending people elsewhere. And it includes that. It includes you know, sending missionaries out. But the word go here means, it's actually the Greek word porosomai, which means simply being in motion about doing. You know what that includes? The person sitting next to you. It includes every person that God brings to these doors. It includes a person at your job. It includes a person, your sister, your brother, the person at the gas station, the people you meet in 7-Eleven. God brings us people continuously, but because we're ignorant of this, this call and we haven't answered it and we don't know what one is, we miss it. And this is why, one of the main reasons why the peace, the contentment, and the power that God says he wants to manifest in and through our lives and in and through this church is not happening. Because we don't know what the word, what a disciple is. And yet, this is what Jesus said we are to be mainly about. After Jesus was crucified, he raised up. Went to his apostles and said, I got one more message for you. One. Now, we know the word of God is the word of God. We should pay attention to all of it, right? Absolutely. But when you think about the last words out of Jesus' mouth, should we kind of really focus in on that and say, God, what did you mean? And so before Jesus ascended into heaven, he brought the apostles and said, now listen, I got one more message for you. One more. Now listen up. And that was it. Go make disciples of all. No matter what country I go to, and I ask him what the word all means, you know what all means? All means all, and that's all that all means. Try saying that in uh, Hindu and Tamali and in Africa, it's really funny. Anyway, I'm going into it. I won't even attempt it. But this is God. Jesus himself was, re was revealing the main purpose of the church, and here's another sad reality. A very small percentage, I would say less than 15% of Christians today, know what a disciple is. 
when you ask him to explain it. Uh, I think, I'm not sure. And then when you ask him, are you one? Uh, 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 no, it really depends what you're, what you're saying. Has the enemy done a masterful job? As we just read, God is not the author of confusion. He does not want us to be confused, but the enemy is in a masterful job. Yes, the church is doing many good things. Yes, God is still drawing people unto himself. Praise God. He's still adding to the church every single day. It's when they walk in the doors, we are kind of mystic about, why are you here? What's the vision and main purpose? And what do we need to be doing about it when they come in those doors? We need to make sure right off the bat, you know why you're here? You're here to be a disciple. And they're going to say the same thing that most of us are saying right now. What's that? What does that mean to be a disciple? We have to explain it to them. We have to give them the vision. How can you become something you don't know what is? Impossible. We have to describe it. We've got to make that clear in our vision and what we're doing. But it starts with us individually. Most Christians, just like me, when anyone talked about disciple, I thought about those, those crazy guys that hung out with Jesus. Twelve of them. They stayed with them for three years. They fed, you know, they, they cast out demons. They, they did many miracle things. And, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some of them you know, wrote the uh, New Testament. How many here have those qualifications? That's apostleship work. But before they were apostles, you know what they were? Disciples. They were disciples first. And through that discipleship, God manifested the giftings in them. And then God gave those giftings to accomplish the things that we, we read about. But every single one of us, every one of us, have been called to be a disciple of Christ. Again, Satan is keeping so many Christians ignorant of this truth and distracting us from focusing on this. And it's such a shame even our Bible colleges and seminaries, they have a very, very small portion as a matter of fact, in most of their descriptions, it is so weak of why you're here to get a degree and your MDiv and your master's or your doctorate to go fulfill the purpose of you feeling the yearning in your heart that you say God gave you to go be a leader in the church and Satan is even there, brought such, just minimize what we're talking about. And or give some kind of weak concept of it. Satan has definitely done a masterful job. And God warned us, this is what we would see before he returns. And we're seeing it. The weakness, the confusion, and, and it, 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 it's, it's, it's terrible. But we can make a decision on any given day because his mercies are what? Every morning. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible teaches us what a disciple is. I'm going to walk through four simple things, a description for you. So when you leave here today, if anyone asks you what a disciple is, you can tell them. 
But more importantly than that, God wants you to examine yourself. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's not going, hey, what's wrong with you? What have you been doing with your life? He's not doing that. Thank you, Jesus. He's, he's so much not like our fathers on, on earth. His timing is perfect. It's perfect. And in his sovereignty, he brought you here today for a reason for you to hear this. And I'm not saying I'm some prophet. I'm not. <laughs> if you heard my testimony, you know, uh, God, but you know, I, I am no prophet. But I can tell you this, this message that God has put on my heart that I've been able to share now around the world is what God is doing in other countries is blowing my mind. And I haven't been to seminary. I have no degree. I have no doctorate. And I got professors and doctorates and, 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 uh, around the world going through our, my school, the school we put together, the guy that, and going through this book and putting this material into their schools and making it mandatory for them to get the, their students to get graduated. Go figure what God can do. Now, that's a calling that God put upon my life, which is unique than others, that's, that, but I was first a disciple. I had to be a disciple in order to hear God's word, and, and he began to instruct me toward what I get to do. My worst subject matter in school was English. My greatest fear was public speaking. I've written 11 books. It's now translated in many languages. They're spreading around the world, and guess what he has me doing? Speaking. God is funny. And so, let's go through these four descriptions. If you've got a Bible, turn to John 15. We're going to look at the, uh, seven, verses 7 and 8, and these two verses really kind of help clarify what are these four principles uh, or descriptions of a disciple that God wants us to know so when we say yes to God to become that disciple, we know what we're saying when we say yes. John 15, 7 and 8 says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. For this uh, my Father is glorified, or by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. Now I want to just focus on the first word in verse 7. What is that first word? If. You know, if you're here and you're here and you're not sure if you're saved and you've never made that confession of faith, which you'll have an opportunity today, uh, if you never made that decision and you found some other way to tell yourself that you're a Christian other than through Jesus Christ and the confession of your own mouth, um, you're not saved. God says we have to choose. Yes, the Holy Spirit draws us, but when he draws us and he reveals the gospel to us, we have to make a choice. Are we going to accept Christ? Are we going to receive that gift of, of the Holy Spirit and of salvation through Jesus Christ alone? Are we going to do that? It's an if. You know, becoming a disciple is the same way. We have to make a conscious decision to say, yes, Lord, I'm ready. 
And today you can have that opportunity. To stand and say, God, today I am answering the call to do what you've asked me to do and why I'm in this church. Why I'm a part of your body. You're going to have the opportunity. You get to choose, but we have to choose. If you don't choose and you just kind of, well, that's not for me, he won't make you. But you will never experience the power and the fruity promises in and through your life. Yes, you're saved. Yes, you're eternally saved. You are secure in your salvation because of what he did. You don't lose it when we remain or choose to remain a baby and ignorant. You don't lose it. Praise God. Just like your kids when they're not being obedient. You say, okay, today you're not mine. And we're wicked and we don't do that. Right? Well, God ain't wicked. And when he called you unto himself, he loved you. No matter where you were at, because I know you, but what he is saying to you today, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to answer this call. I want you to know what I've, why I've put you part of a body and my calling upon your life to every single one of us. I want you to quit looking at who you were, but who you are now in me. And today you can have the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, today I am saying yes to what I now know a disciple is. Amen? So the first description of a disciple is one who has accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's when you say, when you read anyone who abides in me, to abide in Jesus Christ, meaning that you become one of his. You come into the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is, is indwelled you, and you are now a son or the daughter of the Lord. And every two, out of 269 times, God talks about a disciple through the New Testament. He's always talking about someone who has received the gift of salvation. So the first description of a disciple is someone who has made that step, that confession of faith, and has said, God, here I am. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe that you're son of God. I believe that your death uh, took away my sins, and I give you my life. I'm asking forgiveness for my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. That is the first description of a disciple. And today, again, if you're here or you're listening online and you haven't done that and you aren't sure, you're going to have the opportunity to fix that now. It's less than two minutes, maybe three. You can be a son or daughter of the Lord, and you've taken care of the first step. He did the hard work. He went through all that pain. He went through that beating. He went through all that to make it easy for us. It's a gift. He says, this is, this is for you. I came to show you how much I love you, how much I value, how much I want to have a relationship with you, which is the most important thing we receive when we receive salvation. It wasn't doing good things. You know what you can do apart from Christ? Oh, I love it. Good disciples. Nothing. You know what nothing means? Again? Man, that was hard for me. I came from a Catholic background. And I thought, you know, you have to just pull up your bootstraps and work harder. And I always had this vision of God being up there, Craig, doggone it, all right, this time, you're done. And I just kept failing and failing and failing. And even after getting saved, I, I had that, this, this mindset. And it was several years in my walk with the Lord that God revealed to me, Craig, you can't even get out of bed right. <laughs> what do you mean? You brought nothing 
You know what nothing is, Craig? You brought nothing to the deal. You brought nothing to the deal as a husband, like you think you did. You're rotten. And what your wife needs is me, not you. You know your kids I gave you? You have no ability to love and train them according to my word. Nothing, Craig, nothing. Surrender. Come to me and allow me to direct you through my word and the power that I've placed within you, which is myself, his nature, that enables us to do the things he's got us, he wants us to do. But we have, that's what we get when we surrender, when we become a son and daughter of the Lord. But if we are ignorant about what I just shared, we just keep trying to work at it. And that peace and that rest that God promises, it's just not there and it's not lasting. So receiving Jesus Christ, John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become his children of God to those who believe in his name. Number two, the second description of a disciple is one who is a student of the word. It says here, and my word abides in you. Um, one who is willing to invest the time to learn what God's will is in all things. I love what Timothy 2.15 says, be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. John 8.31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believe in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You know, I, I graduated high school, as I said with you, I was dyslexic, and so I graduated high school with about a third grade reading ability. And so when your pastor's telling you after getting saved, go home and read your Bible. <laughs> I opened that darn thing up, and it was like reading Greek. I got nothing. Absolutely Nothing. And it was so frustrating. When a good friend of mine, we started meeting on Monday mornings, 5.30 in the morning, and, and going through the scriptures together, we'd, we'd take turns and, and, and read and then kind of you know, share what God said to us. It would come to my turn, and I would just read my paragraph or whatever else, and they'd look at me, and I'm just going. At that point, I'm a vice president of a very large developing company, very successful, I'm running projects that are millions of dollars, and, and hundreds of men working under me and, and doing these projects. And, and I felt like an absolute idiot. Many times when I left driving to my office, I'm done. God, I'm done. This is just so humiliating, so embarrassing. And every time I said that, the Holy Spirit just goes, oh, no, you're not. And I finally came across that scripture. God says, you have not because you ask not. You don't think I know you're dyslexic? Have you ever asked for a healing and for a quickening to understand my word? Have you really asked, Craig, and believed that I want you to know my word? No, God, I guess I never did. I just thought that would come naturally. He said, I remind, I remind you again, there's nothing naturally good in you. Okay, I asked. And a miracle happened. I started coming and, 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 and would read my a section. And I would talk about, and there were, both those guys are going, 
because they got saved in, in college and went through Campus Crusade for several years and got discipled, and, and then we ended up at Calvary Chapel, Oklahoma, and, and uh, I'm starting to expound. They're going, wow, that's good stuff. Where did you get that from? I, I don't know. <laughs> I said, I, we, I, I was just reading ahead. And then, but I did learn from them that they had cheat sheets called commentaries. <laughs> I had no idea what they were. So they told me, I said, you boogers, I mean, you've been doing this the whole year. Why didn't you tell me you had these cheat sheets? And anyway. But I begin to read with excitement, and things begin to light up in my heart. And, and, and as every one of us did, we came to Christ knowing nothing when it came to things about, uh, that, that, that God has. And so when you think about when we come to Christ, no believer knows that the most important thing they received through salvation was the ability and the privilege to fulfill the greatest reason why God called you to himself. And most people, when I ask them that, what do you think that is? Um, I don't know. The first thing recorded in Mark after Jesus gave up his spirit was the veil of the Holy of Holy was torn from top to bottom. Giving you and I access at any time, 24 hours a day, to come into the presence of God. And what God wants for most of us, from all of us, sorry, all of us, is fellowship. The ability to learn how to commune and abide in the presence of God throughout the day. That's what he wants most. He's looking at us going, Craig again, and whatever your name is, you can't do anything. But I... I showed you how much I loved you, how much I valued you, what I was worth to pay for you to have this oneness and fellowship with me. And that's what I want most from you. Everything else is second. What I want most from you is intimacy and relationship with you. That's what I want most. Now, I had no idea of that. I had a real traumatic born-again experience, and there was about six, seven months of my life that me and God were communing like 24-7. I mean, that, that, that... Holy Spirit, I was filled, and man, me and God were just talking. Well, that began to wane. And I never met a Christian that told me to pick up a Bible and start reading. I thought I was Moses, man. I mean, I, I know that's a story I remember from a Catholic, being growing up Catholic churches. You know, I know about Moses, so I'm just thinking I'm Moses, you know. And I, I didn't act, I mean, I was very humble about it. I was just, you know. All the stupid things I was doing, alcohol, drugs, women, all that stuff, gone. Just no temptation, gone. I was like, God, man, this is awesome. So, man, just walk around. But as that began to wean, because no one told me what happened to me, it was almost two and a half years later, that explained to me what a born-again experience is, and told me that I, I, I was that zealousness that God fills you with, with was for the diving into his word and beginning to learn what you're supposed to do who Jesus is, what he wants most from you, and how to tend to the things he's given you. I, how come it took years before I began to learn that? And I, I was in a good church at the time. So teaching people how to have intimacy with God, I've had the privilege to do it with many, 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 many people. When you ask, to ask someone, can you have an intimate relationship with someone that you can't see? That's learned. It's taught. 
as a disciple, the first thing that when we're discipling somebody, that's the first thing you want to know is, that, how is your intimacy with God? Well, what do you mean? I read the Bible. Really? So tell me about it. And they tell you about this stale, duty-ridden process they do as a commitment, as an obligation to God. Oh, so if you did that with your wife, would she want to sleep with you? That's, that's not love. Yeah, Bible reading should be part of it. But do you, to help someone know how to come into the presence of God and prepare their hearts to know what they're about to do and know what they're doing at that moment is, is fulfilling. And the most important thing you can do the whole day is right now and fulfilling the main reason why you exist and why God called you unto himself, why we have air and, and blood coming th going through our bodies is for this reason right now. Man, when you really know that, what's your attitude when you start? When you're going to talk to God and he know that he's waiting He's waiting for it. He, he's like, you know, how many of us, he's falling around going, hey, 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 I'm here. hey, I'm here. How many? That is learned. We have to teach people that. And it's a season. But boy, when someone grasps it, their life changes. It changes everything. Because Satan's always having us look over our shoulder who we were and looking at our weaknesses and our ignorance and that he uses that to keep us from knowing the privilege we've been given to come into the presence of God and have intimacy. Oh, he did that to me for a long time. So teaching someone. I love, again, John 15, 5, a few verses up. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, in him you will bear much fruit. When we know what it means to abide, to be intimate with him. Because without me, again, you can do nothing. We just talked about that. And when God told me, Craig, if you want power, you want fruit, you want to grow and begin to understand, then put me first. I had to be taught that. I had to be taught how to take the Lord's Prayer and see the, the, the instructions that God gave us out of that to, when I sit down and do a devotional, man, I am, I am coming into the presence of God and fulfilling the greatest reason why I exist and the reason why he died on the cross for me is to have intimacy with him. And when I choose to do that and I learn to do that throughout the day and commune with him throughout the day, man, I am fulfilling the greatest purpose of my existence and I see fruit. And it's not the fruit of Craig. You don't want to see the fruit of Craig. I stinketh. I'm a selfish human being. I'm rotten to the core. And anything good in me comes 100% from him. I can't be good, but I can choose to abide. And so can you. So that abiding, we have to teach them. We need to teach people the foundational principles of their faith. You know, uh, uh, you know, who is Jesus? Who is the Holy Spirit? These are all things in the beginning when we start, uh, 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 someone comes to faith we have to challenge him. You need to become a student. And it's not an eight-week course. It's not. Even though the, the books I read, you know, a lot of my, uh, I, I have an eight-week discipleship. Eight-week is because all churches tell me, well, if it's not eight weeks, it doesn't fit in our schedule. I want to say, shut up. Your schedule sucketh. 
I can go to your church right now and challenge uh, 90% of those men after being married for 20 years and being a Christian for 20 years. How many men feel confident to disciple another man how to be a husband? You know what they're going to tell me? No one will raise their hand. And you're telling me you're discipling your people? Are you kidding? So they don't like me for that anyway. But marriage, God reveals the priorities in a person's life. Our relationship with God, understand our foundation principles of our faith and how to walk in Him and abide in Him. But then our next, if you are married, you know your spouse is the second most important thing God's given you to tend to? The second most important. And third is your children. The Word should dictate the process and how and the direction and the method we use to disciple somebody. God wants us to know when God puts someone in front of you, when you get to a place where you're discipling others, you don't have to ask them what they want. You know already the priorities that God has established in their life, and you're going to use God's word and the instructions that he has given us in the journey of discipleship. Not what they want. You think God, you know, when Jesus showed up to the church, did Jesus walk up to the Pharisees and scribe and say, what do you guys want? You need help with anything? On the contrary, he said, you bunch of stinking viper, whatever. Jesus came to do his father's will. He could care less what they thought. And as a disciple, that's what we do. We're, as, when you answer that call, be a disciple, man, and you become a student, you know that right now when God, you know, we'll talk about it in a moment, when God puts people in your life to disciple, you let the word govern and direct your process, not what they want. So becoming a student is important. A decision that each of us have to make to say, God, I am ignorant. I, I know. I, I'm not sure who the Holy Spirit is and how it works. And there's a lot of things I don't understand. I know I'm a husband or I'm a wife or I'm a parent. And I don't, I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing. But, you know, isn't just doing our best enough? And God says, no. I don't want you to do your best. I know I brought you ignorant. I didn't expect you to know anything. I know you don't know anything. I know it. But will you make the time to learn my will? It's a decision. And again, I don't read books for pleasure. I don't read fictional books. When my son, my second son, he's a reader. And my granddaughter's the same way. They read these two, three-inch books, of, and they're fictional. My first question is, why? Well, my son, like my granddaughter, gets pictures when they read. I don't get pictures. None. My dyslexia makes my mind so screwy. And I'm like, what did that say? I'm not going to read that again. But when I read scripture, principles leap off and come off so clear. I know that was the Holy Spirit. It just makes it clear. I can grab principles so quick now out of the word. And God knew exactly what I needed. So I don't read fictional books and books that are just for plumb. I'm not one of those guys, I want to go relax and read a book. What? I'm going fishing, jumping on my motorcycle, doing some wheelies or whatever. Sit and read a book? Are you kidding? That's not fun. But anyway, it's not the deal. So I know if you're here and you're not a reader, reaching out to somebody in the church and saying, you know what, I, I am ignorant. I've been a Christian for one, two, 
10, 15, 20 years, and I don't know anything. And I just thought coming to church and going to a men's group or a women's group and serving at the church and just, you know, doing things around here in some way by osmosis or something, it would just kind of suck its way in. And, and I, I haven't heard Ben preach yet, but I, I, everything I've heard about him, he's a wonderful preacher and a teacher. And, and that's one of the reasons why you're here. But if you are just uh, uh, using what Ben teaches here, uh, uh, you're in trouble. Yes, what, what Ben is doing is a portion of the discipleship journey that all of us need to be in. A church and being part of a body is extremely important. But you have to be a little more purposeful in saying, God, I want to know who you are, who I am, what the Holy Spirit is, and what I'm supposed to be doing. And I want to, become prof- I want to be proficient in everything that you've given me to my hands to deal with. That's a journey. Third, a disciple is one who receives the word of God with the full intention to obey. Well, that doesn't sound fun. Uh, Again, what the Bible says, uh, he says in in this verse, in verse 7, ask what you desire. It's not saying, you know, the prosperity doctrine that, you know, oh, if I can ask anything I want, I'm going to ask for Mercedes-Benz. I'm going to ask for a better job. I'm going to ask for a million bucks. That's not what God's saying. God's saying, when you become a student and I reveal the truth to you, you and I have to say, I agree. I may not want it. I may not like it. I may not want to do it. But I'm asking for the grace to obey. Today in the United States, there's a demonic philosophy that's spewing amongst many, many, many Christians is that the concept of grace gives us an excuse to be ignorant and sin. Now, praise God for His grace. Praise God we're secure in our salvation. But grace is not excused to sin. There's two types of sin. Omission and commission. Omission means I remain ignorant and don't do what I'm supposed to. Or commission, I do exactly the opposite deliberately to, and because I just, I'm going to be rebellious. Do you know the results of both of them are the same? And sadly, many good Christian people, I've counseled hundreds in 32 years, good Christian people that came into my office for many, many reasons. But when I just pertains to marriage and parenting, they were good people, but believed the lie that all God wants us to do is his best. Your best sucketh. Nowhere in Scripture do we find that Scripture, God just loves you and He cares for you. All He cares about is for you to do your best. A survey was done in 2010 asking thousands of parents across the United States, how would you know if you're a good parent? Number one answer, number one. Well, I guess it's just us just knowing we did our best. That Scripture doesn't exist. And even though many Christians are not experiencing the power, the joy, this fruit that, that God promises for his church, they're not experiencing it. They they're, 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 they know something's wrong. No one's helped them put the pieces together. Ignorance is not bliss, and the word of God are not suggestions. 
A disciple receives the word of God as instructions from God to obey by his grace, not yours, his grace. That's what the word, that's the God's promise. James 1.22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. John again 15.7 says, and it shall be done for you. Yes, there are many things I heard that God was asking me to do. And I've shared two of them. I don't like reading, and public speaking was my greatest fear in life. I jumped out of airplanes. I did hang gliding. I dived with sharks at night many times. I was one of my hobbies. I've raced motorcycles through Baja, well over 100 miles an hour. I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. I'm a thrill seeker. But when it came to standing in front of people and speaking, I would shudder and, st and stammer. And, and, and it just was a, I want to throw up. And so when God was saying and telling me I'm going to do this, and then brothers saying, hey, I had a dream last night. It was a vision of you standing in front of thousands of people speaking. I go, oh, you're on drugs. I ain't doing that. I, I, there's, no way, there's no way that I'm going to do that. And God says, no, you're not. I am. And so I had to get to a point where I said, okay, God, your word's saying you, you choose fools in 1 Corinthians to do things for you. Well, I fit that description. And you tell me that I'm a new creation, and you tell me not to look at anything I brought to the deal, but look at what you're asking me to do. And as I allowed God to speak into my life, and I begin to say, God, give me the strength to be obedient as a husband, as a man of God, as a father, as I did those things, and watched the power and his might in that when he started pressing in about being a public speaker, I said no for a well over a year. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. I ain't, do, I ain't doing it. And then um, you get kind of scared. And uh, first time I spoke in front of a bunch of people, some Toastmasters, I mean, I mean uh, uh, what's that, Rotary Club had me come and speak and I was working with juvenile hall kids and, and going into Unit 1000, 4, 000, uh, 1400, which is the criminals, the murderers that were anywhere between 12 to you know, 16, 17 years old. And they were allowing me to go in there and speak to these kids. And someone heard about it. They said, well, how are you going in there? You have no MDiv, you have no doctorate, you have no... How are they letting you in there? I go, I don't know. They're just that. let me come in and speak to all these kids. It was like, that's a miracle. I want you to come speak at our club. And let's see if we can raise some money for your ministry. Um, no. Well, he is persistent, and I came. And so when I get up in front of these people, and you know, there's a couple hundred people, and I'm thinking, oh, God, please help me. As I begin to talk about these kids, I broke down and weeped. I mean, I'm sitting up there weeping for all these people. I go, oh, God, I told you, I told you, God, you picked the wrong guy. And I couldn't pull it together because I'm thinking about all these kids. That God used is one of his ways to call me out of my, my, my business when he showed me the condition of kids, and many of them coming out of the church, he gave me the, a vision of their heart and their lostness. So I'm thinking about that as I'm sharing, and I just broke down bawling. And then a couple men come up, and they're putting their arms around me, and I'm sitting there going, I look up, and all the women are crying, and the thing, I'm going, oh, God, I, I went out of there. It says, stupid. Well, by God's grace, I pulled it together. I was able to finish. But man, when I got in the car, I was like, God, I told you. I don't want to do this. That was so embarrassing. He says, Craig, because all you're thinking about is you and not the message. Ouch. 
Just think about the message. You're just a vessel. Get out of the way. <laughs> How do I do that? Well, he showed me. I hope I'm doing that this morning. Today, over 40% of Christians in the United States are on antidepressants. Now, if you're here and you're on antidepressants, I'm not saying it's because you're in sin. But when your sons and daughters don't obey and they're doing something deliberately wrong, what do you do with them? Oh, that's cute. That's neat. Are you having fun, dear? No. You know, you're not supposed to do that? I'm going to give you discipline. What does God do to us when we choose to remain ignorant? When we believe all God wants us to do is our best. And we know there's problems in our personal life. We're not really growing. We have some addictions we still haven't gone through. We know our spouse is not happy. You know, we know there's things we say and do to each other not right. We, we're doing our best toward our parenting, but our kids are becoming adolescents. We can tell there's rebellion and defiancy there. We've done everything we could. We haven't been able to agree as husband and wife. But you know what? This is just life, right? You think God goes, oh, I'm just glad you're trying. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. If you're mine and I love you, I'm going to discipline you. We're all on that journey of sanctification. And if you say no, if you believe the lie that ignorance is bliss, and you're not pressing in and asking and taking and receiving God's word as instructions to you that by his grace you can do, I'm going to scourge you. You know, most Christians don't even know what I'm talking about. What do you mean God scourges us? The word scourge means a measured amount of pain to motivate. That's all it means. He says, if I love you, I discipline you and I scourge you. The discipline is when we cooperate with God. All of us fail, right? As a husband and wife, how many of you hurt one another? And part of the plan that God has and purpose of marriage is our differences, and they're different because women are weird, right, guys? And I say that not in a derogatory way. God knew when he made women, he made, us, made them very different from us, and all you women in here are going, yes, amen, and thank you for that, right? You're glad you don't think like men. But in that difference was part of his plan in those differences and trials, to reach down to the depth of our soul, both men and women, and say, let me show you what's ugly inside you that's contrary to my nature. But we are ignorant of that. So when it comes up and we act in a way that's non-glorifying to God and get angry and frustrated and say mean things, we tell ourselves, because the devil's whispering in our ear, you did this because of what they did. And you walk away justifying a non-glorifying moment. And you wonder why your marriage never grows. You're not experiencing this unity and this oneness and this bliss that God talks about in Scripture. But when you understand that part of God's plan is that when you, this comes to the surface, it was him going, let me show you something that's inside you that I already see, but I'm going to bring it to your attention. And when it comes up and you misglorify me, I want you to take, yield to my discipline. And his discipline is, first, God, I agree. What I just said, what I just did, what I just thought was evil and nothing like you. So, Lord, I'm agreeing. I'm asking for your forgiveness. But now give me the grace to go to my spouse and say, Honey, 
you know, what you did was frustrating and whatever, but what I said in response was wrong. Forgive me. When you do that, you're cooperating with God's plan of transformation or sanctification, and you will grow this much in the image of God. What happens when you don't? Oh, I'm still going to bless you. What do you want? Just ask anything of me. I'll give it to you. What do you want as my kids? All the promises of God, he says, those are my good children. You think you're going to have peace, joy, contentment? When we're walking in ignorance and disobedience to God? Let me tell you, no. It's not because he's mad at you and he's trying to curse you. What he's trying to do is get your attention. So when no peace, no joy, no contentment, the fruits of the Spirit aren't there, anxiety, depression, fear, confusion start to overwhelm us, the devil's right there going, you know why you feel this way? It's the person you married. It's your parents' fault. It's your boss. It's the kids. The devil's right there just throwing all these stupid lies to us. And most of us, out of ignorance, we don't know how to look at ourselves and go, wait a minute, God. Do I know your will? Am I doing your will? Am I yielding to your instructions? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I believe the lie that all you want me to do is my best. And I'm still arguing, debating with my spouse that my way is better than their way. And yet, I can't point at one scripture that gives me any instruction to what I believe is right or wrong. God knows how to get our attention. God, Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, contentment. These are the fruits of the Spirit. More walking in the Spirit, more choosing to walk in the Spirit, in obedience. But the opposite is true. Galatians 5.19-20 is the fruit of the flesh. And when you read through those, we go, man, we do that almost every day in our marriage and, our, and what's going on in our home and the arguments with our kids. And God goes, yeah, that should get your attention. Sadly, today's church, when people are feeling depressed and anxiety, we send them to a flipping str- a shrink. Now, if you're a shrinking psychologist here, I'm not, uh, I'm not, there's a need for it. But majority of even Christians, therapists, do not use the scripture to analyze your life. Nor do they use it as a description and an antidote to get well. I would tell you a majority of the people that came into my office are on antidepressants. After 15, 20 minutes of just taking them through their, how's your relationship with God? Explain that to me. So making sure they're saved. How's your relationship with God? So how are you doing as a wife? Or how are you doing as a husband? How are you doing with your kids? Just, just, just those areas. By the time they, they answer those questions, I'm going, you feel exactly the way you're supposed to. That's God saying, I love you too much to let you stay this way. I've been trying to get your attention for years. Sadly, your pastor told you to go to see some shrink that goes to your church because he says he's a Christian therapist. No, he's a Christian that is a therapist, but he's not a Christian therapist. And he says, yeah, the way you feel, here, take this. This is the antidote. And never even examined your life if you're walking as a child of God or not, as a disciple. God wants us to become his disciples, receiving him, becoming a student of his word to know what he's given us to tend to and who we are in him. And he wants us to walk in obedience by his grace. 
So let's talk about the fourth one. A disciple will manifest in his or her behavior a gradual consistency, a, a transformation into the image of God Almighty, Jesus Christ. My father, he says in verse 8 of 15, um, is that my father is glorified, which means to reflect. And he says that you will bear much fruit. That's his promise. As my disciples. Jesus gave us the example. Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher. Was I supposed to be done at 10? Oh, my goodness gracious. Everybody, anyone here bummed out? Want to run out the door? We got, we got to give me 10 minute, more minutes? Okay, good. Lord, I'm doing what you said, right? Okay, good. Uh, Luke 6.40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but in everyone who is perfectly trained will be like him. Now, God is not saying you and I are going to become messiahs, but God is saying that when we begin to do these first three, something happens, it's a miracle inside you. I mean, I'm one of the most selfish persons there is. Ask my wife who dated me before I was a Christian. She said, oh my, yeah, he was a pig and a selfish. All I cared about was Craig Caster. That was it. I, I mean, my friends, I was just like, well, as long as you're, you know, you know, hanging with me and doing what I want to do, you're fine. If not, see ya. I mean, I was just, again, a selfish pig. And I know a lot of it is because of my woundedness and, and what I did as a defense mechanism. But when, when God got a hold of your heart and you start growing, guess what happens to your heart? One of the things that starts to happen is you begin to have this genuine concern for the spiritual well-being of the people around you. That was weird to me. I actually cared. Yes, it first happened with my wife and then my kids, and, and I, I saw this, but God says, as we're pressing in and we're learning these things and we're obe obeying God, God starts changing our heart where you actually care. I mean, seriously care about the spiritual well-being of people that are around you. So to the point that it's like a burden when someone comes to you and you find out they've been a Christian for 5, 10, 15 years and they're struggling in their marriage and, you know, ready to get a divorce and their kids are on drugs and they just come up, oh, and they're just pouring their heart at you, your heart breaks. And you just, you just go, man, I feel for you. I was on that same track. And that burden drives you to do what Jesus did. To disciple them. At least offer to it. I love, again, John 13, 15 through 17. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than him who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. As I begin to do this and I begin to learn that God was bringing people at, at church up to me and just would randomly conversation about their marriage. And my wife and I, I mean, my wife and I, our marriage just was transformed when we started to apply these things. And I would just, wow, I mean, I was actually concerned. I mean, I, God even gave me boldness. I go, well, you know, why don't you do this and try this? And they're like, wow. It was really weird. Most of them are married way longer than we were and been going to this church for 10 years longer than we were going. And I'm sitting there going, I can't believe these guys are so sneaking naked. They don't know this. 
I would assume by Sunday morning when I came in and looked at everyone smiling and saying, oh, praise God, everything's good. I assumed that everybody in the church already knew all the things I, was, I began to learn. And I found out that was not the case. And my pastor called me up and said, hey, what are you doing? I've been counseling those people for years, for six months or whatever. And, and they said that you talked about the church and you really, really blessed them. What was it you told them? The Bible. I told them some verses that God used to convict me that I had no idea that my wife and I agreed to, and we began to do it and work to it, and man, it changed our life. It's one of the many things I got. And he, so he said, I want you to start a marriage Bible study. Oh, no, no. We finally did at church. We had like four couples show up, and within two weeks or three weeks, it was, we were up to 30. So we had to bring it to my home. And... Uh, Oh, no, we went from my home to the church because we couldn't fit everybody in there. And what the surprising part was, everybody was married probably twice as long as my wife and I. They've been going to, they were Christians way longer than I was. And it was my first part of the vision God gave me to do what I'm doing. He goes, this is the condition of my body. And it's seemingly no one knows that it's happening and it seemingly looks as someone, they don't care. And eventually, when God kept giving me that burden for the condition of the family, uh, as he's waking me in that middle of the night and giving me visions, and, and I'm waking up crying, my wife's going, what's wrong with you? I go, I don't know. I'm looking at these kids, these families, I'm thinking, my gosh, I don't know, what does this mean? God says, I want you to go. Will you go? And again, I said, no. <laughs> I said, no, but he finally went out. God says he wants us to do what he did. Jesus was the best teacher. The most anointed teacher there ever was was Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. How many times did he teach to the apostles come to him and go, hey, master, what did you say? Many. Read the gospels. And what did Jesus say to them? Oh, you ding-dongs. Weren't you paying attention? I don't have time to pour into you. I got things to go. I got, I got cities. I got people to heal. I got food to go get. I mean, come on. You guys, pay attention next time. No, the Messiah, God in the flesh, the one who called us unto himself, who said, glorify me, be like me, showed you and me what to do. He sat and explained what he meant. Personally, the application, and through them. That's discipleship. It's very intentional. See, Jesus knew, I'm leaving. I'm leaving soon. And I want you to do make people like me. Discipleship is very intentional. If I met John somewhere and, I, and, I, and he came to me and said, hey, his life's a mess or whatever, I want to be discipled. I would say to John, and my intentionality with John is, John, my, if I disciple you, I'm going to make you like Jesus and make you like me. I don't want you just proficient in how to crawl up in Jesus' lap. I want, to make you, I, want to make you have, I want you to understand the foundational principle of your faith and how to abide in Christ and whatever else. But you have a wife. We're going to flow right into that. I'm going to make you sure that you're the best husband God wants you to be because you know why? That's his daughter. How many of you have daughters? Raise your hand. So you have son-in-laws. How many have son-in-laws? 
if your son-in-law ain't treating your daughter right, what do you feel like? I am so blessed. I, my, the, 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 my daughter picked a man that I am so blessed. He handles her and t- handles her. Excuse me. <laughs> Take that out. The way he tends to her blesses me, man. I'm glad because he's six foot three. He's a, he's a bear. He would crush me. But I carry a gun, so anyway. I'm just kidding. I don't know why I say that, but I always do. He, he, is, he is a prince, and he's got a discerning spirit of God. He's, he's leading more people to the Lord, but he keeps calling and saying, Craig, I found another one. I gave him your phone number. Oh, Cameron, please. I don't have room. You take him. I mean, I just I couldn't ask for a better guy. My daughter-in-law, same way, just an absolute prince. Now, I'm wicked And I feel that way toward my daughter. God is not wicked. And you have his daughter. But ladies, that goes for you. Your husband's his son. He doesn't want less for them. He wants you to be the best wife that you can be. Not according to what you think he deserves. Because what does he deserve? What you deserve. Hell. That's not about deserving. It's about yielding to God and fulfilling the need that he placed within our spouse that he wants us to be the vessel to fulfill. But if we stay ignorant to what those needs are and we just do our best, you will never experience what God wants. And also, when God puts a man in your life or a woman in your life, which he is and has been since you've been saved and will even this week, when he puts those people in front of you, and they start telling you that they're having problems with their spouse or problem with whatever else, instead of you just going, well, bummer, dude, I'll pray for you. He wants you to have his heart to be like him, that you would say, have you ever been discipled? And 99% of the time, they're going to say to you, what do you mean? He wants you to get to a place that you are so provisioned, you can say, well, I went through some stuff, my wife and I, man. And that was after X amount of years of marriage. And boy, it just changed our life, man. We now have a unified vision. We're both working toward it. And man, the joy and the peace and the blessings come to our, our, our life is amazing. And I'm willing to take you through it. Are you ready to go? Now, not everyone who uh, I've ever challenged that to has said yes. And not everyone has finished. But you know who else had that experience? Jesus. Read John 6, 66. I think it's it's John or Mark. I think it's John. Most walked away from him. Didn't finish the course. So if you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit has been tugging, let's respond to it. It's a step. It's a confession. It's saying, okay, God, I'm ready. I want to, I want, it's scary. It's scary. I definitely don't want to be standing in front of people talking. Well, that's a whole different deal. I'm not saying God's calling you. But God is saying to each of you, I want you to be my disciples and answer the call to become one. Yes, it starts with you learning to become a student yourself and learning what God's given you. Yes, that's where it starts. But today you can say, God, here I am. 
I'm ready, send me. If you are here today and you're ready to do that, stand up right now. I'm going to walk you through a prayer. And join me in this prayer. It starts with a decision. He said, if you choose to be a disciple, I will fulfill that in your life. But it's a choice we got to make. Amen? So if you want to make that decision with me, stand up. Let's walk. I'm going to walk you through a prayer. I'm going to ask you to uh, confess to the Lord. But before I, as I pray, the first thing I'm going to pray about is if you're here and you're not sure you're saved, obviously I'm going to lead you through a prayer of salvation. And obviously for those of you who are saved, you don't have to say that, repeat this part. But those, if you're here in this room and you aren't sure you're saved, you need to repeat what I'm going to say and tell God right now, I'm ready to be your son and daughter. And if you're online, you can do it right there in your home or whatever. But God wants you to make sure you've got to be a son and daughter in order for the rest of this to fulfill. Because the Holy Spirit needs to be in us and enables us to understand and to do the things that he's going to show you as a man and as a woman of God, as his disciple, as his husband, as a wife and a parent. We need the Spirit of God in us. So let's pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for this time and this opportunity to be here with my brothers and sisters. And Lord, I just pray right now that uh, if there's someone here listening to this or here today that have never made that confession of faith, never received that gift of salvation, I pray that even right now they'll repeat these words to you. Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to earth to die on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you raised on the third day, giving me the promise that I can live for you and with you for eternity. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now for the rest of us. Lord Jesus, today I'm answering the call to be your disciple. Give me the courage and the faith to trust you. Remove the doubt and fear that would hinder me from believing I can be one. Lead me to someone who can help me. Give me a desire to be a student. Give me the faith and the courage to change the things that you reveal. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. You've got the big great commission. Now let's go fulfill it. Amen.